Well, good morning, church. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate that. Well, today we are beginning a new series called The Best Christmas Ever. And uh, you may be wondering, if you saw that on the, the sign behind me on your bulletin when you came in, you may be wondering, why are we calling this series The Best Christmas Ever? Do we really believe that Christmas 2018 is going to be the best Christmas ever? Do we know something that you don't know about this Christmas? Are we planning uh, here at church to have a big giveaway like they have on some of those talk shows where, you know, Christmas Eve, we're going to give everyone here at church a brand new car? No, that's, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, that's not, that's not what's happening. The reason we're calling this series the best Christmas ever is because we simply want to ask that question every time we gather over the next few weeks. What would make this Christmas the best Christmas ever? And what if we went back to the Christmas story, we went back to Scripture, and we looked again at this story, maybe the greatest story ever told, and tried from Scripture once again to reflect and to look at Jesus and to think about what would it look like to answer that question for us? What would make this Christmas the best Christmas ever? And so I want to start with that question, with that question for you. Uh, for you, what would make this Christmas the best Christmas ever for you? What would it be? When I was a kid, I loved, um, I loved Christmas lights. I still do. Uh, I, I love the joy of going outside and, and putting the, the Christmas lights on the house. Over Thanksgiving break, uh, our family, we decorated the inside of our house, and so we got all the, the trees up, yes, trees, plural, and uh, lights on all the trees and, and all the things that go along with that and the garland and got it all plugged in for the most part and, and all lit up, and, and it was fantastic. And yesterday, we went out, I went out with the kids and put up the Christmas tree, uh, the Christmas lights on our house, and I've got, I took a quick picture of that. Um, don't ask me uh, why my son, if we get that picture up, is wearing, uh, is it not coming up? Even better. You don't get to see it. Oh, there we go. There's the question. Do we have the picture? My kids aren't in here, so I can actually show this picture. But it's not working. Oh, perfect. <laughs> you won't see my son wearing a Texas Longhorn shirt that I can't explain. <laughs> and you won't see my girls still wearing their PJs like at 3 o'clock. So this is great. You don't have to see any of that. It never happened. We got to go outside and put the Christmas lights on the house, and it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, to get to do that. One of my favorite movies growing up, uh, every Christmas my family would watch this movie. We would watch, uh, the, the, I'll call it this, the TV version of the movie Christmas Vacation. I say that because for years and years we, we had recorded Christmas Vacation, the movie, off of like TBS on a VHS tape, and that's what we watched every year. Then one year we actually got, you know, fancy, and we went and bought the movie and watched it on a DVD. And that's an awkward moment when you sit with your parents watching a movie you watch dozens of times and realize that all those commercial breaks were all the inappropriate scenes you didn't know were there. <laughs> but in that movie, there's a great scene, if you've ever seen the movie, the TV version, I hope, of uh, Clark Griswold, who the whole movie's been, been putting lights over every part of his house. The roof is covered with lights. The walls are covered with lights. The gutters are covered with lights. Everything in the yard, everything that can have lights is, has lights covering it. It is like every inch of that place has Christmas lights all over it. And there's this grand moment where he gets the whole family out, and they do the drum roll, and he's ready to plug them all in, and he does. And guess what? Nothing happens. And he's so frustrated, and you can see that all over his face. He starts throwing the cords around, and the, the family's getting aggravated, and they start walking back inside, and everybody's trying to help and figure it out. And, 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 and son, you checked all the bulbs, right? There's like a million light bulbs. There's no way he checked all of those light bulbs. 
Finally, his wife realizes, oh, he plugged all of that, and by the way, it's like a certified fire hazard, all those cords into one outlet in the laundry room where you have to flip the switch on for the power to come to that outlet. And when she figures that out, she flips the switch, he plugs it in, sparks fly, everything lights up, and it's glorious. There are Christmas lights, and the house is lit up, and it's just this beautiful moment. I think we love Christmas lights because they, they light up what would otherwise be a pretty dark time. A pretty dark time. Uh, what would happen if, if Clark goes out to plug in the lights and they never came on? Christmas lights, they illuminate the darkness. They light up what would otherwise be a, a pretty dark time. And I don't have to stand up here and tell you as we look over the last 12 months that 2018 has been filled with a lot of darkness. I don't have to sit up here and read off the news stories or the headlines. We've seen gun violence continue and innocent lives lost. We continue to see the, the political climate, the negative political climate, continue to just get more toxic and more heated. We continue to see the effects of, of, of racism and hate be elevated. It seems like every day there's a new news story of, of where we can just point to and say, yep, there it is. There's the darkness rising. And that's not to mention all the normal stuff, all the normal stuff of addiction, of drugs, and alcohol, and, and homelessness, and, 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 and other kinds of addiction to, to lust and pornography and, and all the other things that, that cause you know, darkness around us, whether it's you know, children that, have, that are being uh, abandoned or, or even going hungry in other parts of the world. There's, there's so many ways, so many places we can point to where every year this happens, every month, even right now it's happening. There is darkness rising all around us. And even for those of us who are followers of Jesus, let's just be honest and be real for a moment. So many of us struggle with trying to have one foot in the darkness and one foot in the light. I mean, we can sit here today and this morning, we can point fingers over the last year of all the Christian leaders we've seen that have fallen from grace. But if we're honest, how many of us in the room this morning, if you were to be transparent at least with yourself, would have to admit to yourself There are areas in your life where there is darkness. There are areas in your heart where there is darkness. Because there's content that you allow on your screens that is mature rating. And I'm sorry, but... Because there's areas of your life where you're living in dishonesty. Because you participate in gossip. Because you have something hidden. And there's a reason it's hidden. Because you've taken shortcuts. Because you've done things. You've said things. You've thought things. And that's a problem, right? Not just for you personally, but for us as a collective. We're called as the church, as followers, as believers in Jesus, as disciples of Christ, to to be light in this dark world. But what happens when someone goes to plug on those lights and nothing comes on? What happens when those of us who claim to follow Jesus aren't illuminating the darkness? What happens when we stop being light and we start participating in the darkness around us? This is exactly what happened in the days of the prophet Isaiah. 
If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, you can follow along there. But I want you to open up to Isaiah 7 if you have it. It'll also be on the screen behind me. Uh, Isaiah was a prophet who lived several hundred years before Christ came. And in, in, in the book of Isaiah, you have, you have this, this long prophecy. We're going to look at just a very short section of it. In Isaiah chapter 7 through 12, you have what's called the book of Emmanuel. Isaiah was, was a prophet who, who lived in the kingdom of Judah. He actually lived during the reign of four different kings, but here in Isaiah chapter 7, he's, he's living in a time when King Ahaz is king of Judah. And Israel itself has been through a pretty terrible time. It's a dark time in their history. It's dark because they've just gone through a, a terrible civil war. And now, for the first time, the kingdom of, of, of Israel is divided into to two kingdoms. There's the, the kingdom of Israel to the north, that's where the Galilee is. And then there's the, the kingdom to the south called the kingdom of Judah, that's where Jerusalem is. So you've got the kingdom of Israel now up here in the northern part, and the kingdom of Judah down here in the southern part. And both kingdoms have evil kings. It's a dark time in the land of Israel. And it's not dark because the people are suffering, actually, they're not. At this particular moment in history, they're, they're doing okay. It's a bit of an affluent time. They have what they need. It's not, it's not dark because they're living in, in captivity. They're not. They've been through a, a tough civil war, but for the moment, both kingdoms are sovereign. They're not, they're not answering to anybody else. It's a dark time in the history of Israel because they're living in sin. Over and over again throughout Scripture, as you read Scripture and you see dark or darkness or that word, almost always it's going to allude to sin. Sin for Israel was living outside of the covenant. Living outside the the law of God that was given to the people of God. It's living contrary to the word of God and contrary to the will of God. And at this moment in history, Israel and Judah are both living outside of the words of God and the will of God. At this moment, it's a dark time in their history because they, have, they are breaking and they have broken the covenant. King Ahaz himself has invited idol worship into their land. And the people of Israel have turned away from Yahweh and turned towards these idols, giving them their worship. It is a dark time in the history of Israel. And so God sends his prophet Isaiah... Specifically to King Ahaz, but also to the people of Judah. And what happens next really is where all this comes to a head. It's a turning point in history of Judah and of Israel. In Isaiah 7, verses 1 and 2, this is is what it says. When Ahaz, the son of Jotham, and grandson of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Syria... And Pekah, son of Remelia, the king of Israel, set out to attack Jerusalem. So you have two kings, the king of Israel to the north, who's made an alliance with the king of Syria. And now they've joined forces to come against King Ahaz in Judah. You get the picture? They're coming to attack Jerusalem. However, they were unable to carry out their plan. They weren't successful right away. The news had come to the royal court of Judah. Syria is allied with Israel against us. So the hearts of the king, King Ahaz, and his people, the people of Judah, trembled with fears, like, with fear like trees shaking in the storm. You've got two powerful nations that have joined forces to come against Ahaz. And the people realize they're under attack. 
And this is not going to go well for them. And it's at this point that Ahaz has a decision to make. And this is pivotal, so I don't want you to miss this. He has a decision. You're about to see the choice he has to make, but you know the choice he has to make. The choice he has to make is the choice he always had to make. It's a choice to either turn to Yahweh, turn to the one true God, turn to the, 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 the king of their ancestors, the, the, the God of their ancestors, or to turn away and put his hope in another. Honestly, it's the same decision you and I have to make over and over again, too. Do we turn to God, or do we turn away and put our hope in someone or something else? This is what happens. Verse 3. The Lord said to Isaiah, Take your son, Shear Jasub, and go out to meet King Ahaz. And I know what you're thinking. Who in their right mind would name their son Shear Jasub? It's a really great question, actually. In Isaiah, names have meaning. Isaiah himself, his name means the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. And so for Isaiah himself to be sent to King Ahaz was a prophecy, was a sign in and of itself. When when Isaiah walks into the royal courtroom and sees Ahaz, he knows, oh, here's a message. Isaiah has come to see me, which is a reminder that my only hope is in Yahweh. Yahweh is the one who saves. But that wasn't enough. And so Yahweh, God the Lord says to Isaiah, hey, take your son, the, the son I gave you, the son I told you to name, Shear Jasab. This is why you have him. This is why you named him that, to take him to Ahaz in this moment. By the way, his name, Shear Jasab, means a remnant will remain. It's sort of a dual prophecy. On the one hand, it's a prophecy of judgment and discipline. Because if, if, if the prophecy is a remnant will remain, that means that you're about to be conquered and taken captive and taken away for not trusting in the Lord. On the other hand, it's a prophecy of mercy and grace. Because there will be a remnant that will remain. So there is hope for the future, even in the judgment and discipline of God. So the Lord says to Isaiah, take your son Shear Joseph to meet King Ahaz. He says, You'll find him at the end of the aqueduct that feeds the water into the upper pool, near the road leading to the field where the cloth is washed. Ahaz is over there because he's checking on the water supply of the city. Because if the king of Assyria and the king uh, the king of Syria and the king of Israel figure out how to cut off the water supply to Jerusalem, they're dead. Verse 4. This is what the Lord tells Isaiah to say to Ahaz. Tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned-out embers. Don't you love the way the Lord talks? King Rezin of Syria and Pekah, son of Hermelia. Yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him, saying, We will attack Judah and capture it for ourselves, and then we will install the son of Tabil as Judah's king. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. This invasion, it will never happen. It will never take place. All you have to do, King Ahaz of Judah, is turn away from those idols. Turn back to the Lord your God. And you can stop worrying. You don't have to be afraid. And just to show you how gracious and how kind and how patient the sovereign Lord is, listen to what happens next in verse 10. Later, the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord. 
Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation. Make it as difficult as you want. Ask anything you want, as high as heaven or as as deep as the place of the dead. I'm going to give you a sign just to prove to you that I am the one true God and I can save you. I can intervene in this moment when all odds are against you and it seems like the battle is lost. I can rescue you and I'm going to prove it to you. Just ask for a sign. Verse 12, but the king refused. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. And before you think that King Ahaz is being righteous in this moment, he's not. He's just turned so far away from the worship of Yahweh that he's put all of his hope and all of his trust in the worship of other idols and other things that he has no interest in taking Isaiah up on this promise of God. Verse 13, then Isaiah said, Listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right, then. Here's what's going to happen. The Lord himself will give you a sign. He's going to give you a sign anyway. Listen. This is where it comes in. Listen to the sign that Isaiah talks about. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And by the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey. For before this child is that old, the lands of the two kings you fear so much will both be deserted. God promised that a son was going to be born and that if Ahaz would put his trust in the Lord, if he would just simply turn back, if he would do that, that a son would be born that would be a sign of God's abiding presence with him and with his people. But that is not what King Ahaz does. Because of fear, because he was trying to fix this problem on his own, because he needed an immediate answer that was concrete and not some strange prophet walking in the room with promises he wasn't too sure about because he wanted to trust what was visible over what was invisible. I, I, I don't know. But you know what Ahaz does? He makes the worst decision of his entire career. He takes money and treasury out of the temple of God. And he sends it to the king of Assyria, Tiglath-Pileser III, I know what you're thinking, Corey, this is a Christmas series. We want to get to Jesus and the baby in the manger. Why are we talking about Sheer, Jasub, and Tiglath-Pileser III? This is why. King Ahaz takes money out of the temple of the holy God, and he sends it to a foreign king, the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria was more powerful than Egypt at this time. The kingdom of Assyria was more powerful than Syria itself. It was more powerful than Israel. And Ahaz knew that by sending money and treasury to the king of Assyria, he could invite him to come into his country and to defeat his enemies. By doing that, he was also placing himself and his country under the kingship of another kingdom, by the way. And when he did that, he made the worst decision of his entire career. Because when he invited Tiglath-Pileser III to come into his country, he and his sons would never leave. In fact, you know how the story goes? Twelve years later, the kingdom of Israel 
would no longer exist. And a short time later, Judah wouldn't either. Every, almost every single person is carried away into Assyrian captivity and later Babylonian captivity. All because Ahaz refused the sign of Emmanuel. Of course, this hasn't happened quite yet. So in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20, Isaiah is still begging and pleading with King Ahaz and with the people of Judah to make the right choice, to make the right turn. He says, look to God's instructions and teachings. Look back to Torah. Turn back to God. People who contradict his word are completely, here it is again, in the dark. Why? Because you're living contrary to the word of God. You're living in darkness. You're living in sin. They will go from one place to another weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth. But wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. This is what's going to happen if you keep living a life contrary to the word of God, contrary to the will of God, contrary to the heart of God. This is what's going to happen as long as you keep turning to another besides God. It's going to be dark. And it was. But nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. And hear these words. This, I'm about to show you something amazing, so just watch this. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. That's the northern part of Israel. But there will be a time in the future when the Galilee of the Gentiles, also the northern part, the land bridge where everybody traveled through Israel to get to where they were going. There will be a time in the future when the Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. Another word for light. The people who walk in darkness will see, here it is, a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine for a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called, here it is, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And by the way, his government, unlike your government, his government and its peace, shalom, it's the way things are supposed to be, it will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. You know the answer, but quick question. Who is the only person in all of human history who fits this description? Only one person, and his name is Jesus. And what is totally amazing, at least it blows my mind, is that hundreds of years later, when Matthew, who, oh, by the way, was a tax collector, someone living in complete and utter darkness, someone who had turned away from the worship of Yahweh for his own personal gain, he saw the light, he saw Jesus, and he was so convicted and changed by the light that he gave his life to following that light. And he wrote these words, and listen to the words he wrote after hearing what you just heard from Isaiah in Matthew 4.12. He said, when Jesus got word that John, that was his cousin John, had been arrested, Jesus returned to where? To Galilee. 
He moved from his hometown, Nazareth, to the lakeside village of Capernaum, nestled beside the base of where? Zebulun and the Naphtali Hills. This move completed Isaiah's sermon. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, road to the sea, over Jordan, Galilee, crossroads for the nations. People sitting out their lives in the dark saw a huge, a great light sitting in that dark, dark country of death. They watched the sun come up. When? When they saw Jesus. This Isaiah prophesied sermon came to life in Galilee. The moment Jesus started preaching, he picked up where John left off, and here was his sermon. Change your life. God's kingdom is here. What about you? What present darkness are you living in? You see, this is huge. This has been huge for thousands of years. Because chances are, like the people of God then, the people of God now, chances are you are flirting with some kind of sin. There's some kind of darkness around your heart, some kind of darkness around your life. And this is the question, do you really want to walk through the next 30 days? Do you really want to go through another Christmas season with Christmas lights shining all around us? Do you really want to go through all of this charade again, knowing that around your heart and around your life, there is a present darkness. You still have one foot in the darkness, even though you're here today with one foot in the light. You know how the story ends. The story for King Ahaz, he turned away from God. He turned to a foreign king. He he put his trust in another, and it led to his complete destruction, his complete captivity. And the same is true for you and me. I don't know when we'll get it, but it's so true. Whenever you and I turn away from the Lord our God, whatever we turn to conquers us and takes us captive. Whenever you turn away, from the Lord your God, whatever you turn towards will conquer you and take you captive. And this is why. You simply cannot live in the light and live in the darkness at the same time. By definition, you cannot be in the light and in the darkness at the same time. I know what you do. I know what I do. We try to live in the gray. We try to keep one foot planted in both worlds, but you just can't do it. You either turn towards God and put your hope and your trust in the one who saves, or you turn and you put your trust in another. But we all know how that story always ends. It always ends in destruction. It always ends in captivity. It always ends the same way. And the question I want to ask today is, do you really want to walk through the next 30 days carrying that heaviness? Darkness is heavy. Do you really want to go through that charade again? Of hearing the whole world pointing to Jesus. Of hearing joy to the world in your radio and knowing that you can't sing that song because you don't have any joy. Because you're living in a very dark place. And it may be that no one even knows it. You. Because you know what you do? Same thing I do. Same thing Clark Griswold did. We put lights all over our house. We came to church this morning. That's a that's a light bulb. 
plug that one in. We came to class. That's like three light bulbs. We taught class. That's like 10 light bulbs. You know? We showed up early. Another light bulb here. We're a difference maker in this church. We, we, we serve in some capacity in some way. That's, that's a few more light bulbs. We're helping. We're serving. We're showing up. We're here every time the doors are open. More light bulbs. You know what the truth is, though? We're walking around with all these light bulbs all over us. They're not even on. They're not even on. It's a charade. It's a facade. There's darkness all around us. What's it going to take to flip that switch and turn those lights on in your life? What's it going to take for you to step out of your present darkness and into the light of Christ? Here's the promise. This was the promise for the king of Judah, and it's the same promise for you. The light for us is this, the light of Christ available to you is far greater than any darkness that could possibly come against you. We believe it's not. We think we have to do this on our own. We think it's up to us. We think if no one knows, we can dig ourselves out of the pit. But the truth is, that's a lie. The truth is, there is great power available to us in the light of Christ. And the light of Christ is so great. It is far greater than any possible darkness that can come against you. But you have to step into the light. And the question is, will you step into the light? What if the, what if the, the thing that would make this Christmas the best Christmas ever was your decision to finally step out of the darkness, to step into the light? What if the one thing that would give you more freedom than you've ever felt in your life, because that's what Christ offers. Turning to God is always, just like the king of Judah, it's always an offer of freedom. Turning to another is always, is always a promise of captivity. What if the thing that would make this Christmas the best Christmas ever was your decision to share what's hidden with somebody else, to confess that sin, that temptation, that struggle with another brother or sister in Christ? What if the thing that would make this Christmas the best Christmas ever was your decision to put up some guardrails in your life to keep you from whatever that sin or that temptation, that struggle is? What if the thing that would make this Christmas the best Christmas ever was that over the next 30 days, you decided to literally step out of whatever darkness it is and to step into actual light? To like actually open your Bible and to read the red letters, the words of Jesus on your own? Like, that's not something you just do at church. You do that, like, on a Monday morning. When's the last time you opened your Bible and you read the words of Jesus for yourself? When's the last time you really prayed? When's the last time you took out a sheet of paper and wrote a prayer to God? When's the last time you really felt your heart worship? When's the last time you lost yourself in worship? What if, what if the thing that would make this Christmas the best Christmas ever was your decision to actually, tangibly, physically step into practicing being in the light of Christ. You see, before we get to all the wonderful stories of Christmas, I think we have to dial the story back to where it all began, to where the promise started. Because the promise was given to a man who could have made a choice to choose light, but he chose darkness. He chose darkness. And that darkness destroyed him his family, his kingdom, and the entire land. And what I'm begging you to do today is the same thing I, I think Isaiah was begging King Ahaz to do. 
Jesus. Don't do that. Choose the light of Christ. Church, if you would, let's stand. This is the last question I'll ask. What if we did this? Like as a church, what if we committed individually and also collectively over the next 30 days to just step into the light? To step out of sinful behaviors, sinful conversations, sinful thought, sinful attitudes, sinful actions, and just step fully into the light. To step out of complaining and, and, and the, the negativism that surrounds the, uh, our times and just to step into the wonderful light of Christ. What would happen at Riverside? What would happen in our church? What would happen in our worship? What would happen in our gatherings? What would happen in our home groups? What would happen in our classes? What would happen in our conversations if we just made the choice, every chance we got, to step out of that darkness and step into the light? What if we allowed this story not to just be a story we sing about and we share with our kids at bedtime, but be a story that shapes our lives? Man, I think this could be a wonderful month for us as we enter into this season of turning our full attention towards Jesus. But it's my prayer that as we turn our attention towards Jesus, that we wouldn't let it be another Christmas, but that we would allow this story to truly shape and transform our lives. This morning, I, I know it's just true. Some, some of us in here are struggling, and so I'm going to invite our, our shepherds and their wives to make themselves available around the room and and if you're struggling with some kind of darkness, if someone you love is struggling in some kind of darkness and you want to pray with them, these shepherds and their wives, they don't have all the answers. They're not perfect people, but, 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 but they would love nothing more than to pray over you and usher you and, and the one you love or the situation you're involved in into the presence, into the light of God, because we believe it's in the light of God that you can receive all the help and the healing that you need today. So if you need to pray, make your way to one of these men and their wives while we sing this song. For the rest of us, let's go out today. And let's make the decision to choose light. Let's sing.